Hey, look at your blood bag! He turned his head, he looked me straight in the eye! He was scanning the horizon! No, I am awaiting. I am awaiting in the Welcome to the Mad Max Minute, where people always assume we're scanning the horizon, but we're actually just watching Mad Max Fury Road one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 18, which begins with nothing too exciting, just a flame-throwing guitar on a rolling stage covered in speakers. And it ends with some post-apocalyptic hands-free driving. Wrapping up the week with us from the Mad Max Bible YouTube channel is Shem Herman. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. We have finally reached what you have described as one of your favorite shots of this entire movie. Yes, but this one I think is even better. Subjectively? <laughs> no, objectively, I think this shot is way, way better. Because Nux and Slit, they come up around the doof wagon. We actually get a bit of a jump shot. Like we're starting at one angle and there's a slight jump as they go to pass but as we sweep and track up past the doof wagon we get to see that not only is it drums but there is a makeshift stage with a guy wearing red coverall pajamas and he's holding a giant makeshift electric guitar but not only that it also shoots flames and it is amazing yeah because everything in the apocalypse has to have dual purpose as george miller says and also be extremely extremely awesome right I love the stories behind things like the Doof Wagon and the guitar here because George saw the early builds for the guitar. And I don't think when they originally made it, they had it shoot fire because <laughs> I think they assumed they were going to do it in post. I think they added the flamethrowing functions oh. after George looked at it and said, okay, let's see it shoot fire. Yeah, that's funny. That's the exact same story I wanted to start with because uh, yeah. I heard it uh, before and it wasn't really about the fire. It was about the fact that the whole thing was supposed to actually make sound. It was supposed to work. That's right. Yeah. So George Miller, the first time he saw it, he just saw it and he's like, OK, well, let's plug it in. <laughs> and everyone was just like, George, George, dude, this is a prop. We make props. And he was like, I, I don't... And he wasn't... He was like, what? What do you mean props? I mean, this is supposed to work, right? Mm -hmm. Colin Gibson took him aside and he's like, dude, okay, we will make it work. <laughs> you go back. <laughs> and they actually made it work. I mean, it made sound. But the sound was just uh, complete garbage. You can actually hear some of it in the making of Fury Road. And you really would not want that kind of a thing going through desert, trying to mm -hmm. signal anything to anyone. You couldn't hear it at all. There is a bonus feature on the Fury Road Blu-ray called uh, Fury Road, The Tools of the Wasteland. And in that video, Iota, who plays the Doof Warrior, appears and he's talking about just the low audio quality of this guitar. It's just not great. Oh, it was awful. Oh, I mean, if, if you've watched <laughs> Junkie XL explaining how he made the sound for this guitar, it's like, oh my God, this guy... He took like 40 different amps and played the same thing through them. And then he sort of layered them together. So they have this huge, huge, massive sound, which is nothing like what it sounded in real life. It's been explained in interviews and whatnot. And I mentioned this on Wednesday that 
The reason that Joe has the doof wagon in his fleet specifically is because you cannot shout orders to a vehicle fleet when everybody is driving huge V8 engines with giant exhaust pipes and flames and war going on. And so borrowing on the strategies of the past where they had drummers and trumpeters for old world battles, now you've got giant drums and you've got the Doof Warrior shredding out these orders. So depending on what the Doof Warrior is playing is a specific order that Joe wants passed along to the fleet. Also, the flames uh, serve that purpose as well. That's what I heard. That way you get the double whammy of the audio instruction and the visual instruction. Exactly, yeah. Because, look, I mean, you know, it's the, it's the apocalypse. They don't have walkie-talkies, you know. I mean, the, the whole system of them communicating in the wasteland is so primitive, but at the same time looks to be very effective. Mm-hmm. I think one excellent example of poor communication in the wasteland was what happened several minutes ago where Furiosa turned left and the lead vehicle had no idea what was happening until they heard the screeching tires of the other escort vehicles turning. Yeah. Yeah, she could have. Yeah, well, they probably would have noticed, but yeah. They probably would have noticed eventually, yeah. Yeah, eventually. <laughs> they would probably even catch up because the car that was uh, the last one to turn, uh, Elvis, I guess? Two mm-hmm. engines, V12? Yeah, dude. Of course you can catch up with this. While we've got the Doof Warrior front and center, we might as well get to know him. The Doof Warrior is played by Iota. He is best known on IMDb for being the Doof Warrior in this movie. He was Tremalcio, the orchestra leader in 2013's The Great Gatsby by Baz Luhrmann, the one with Leo DiCaprio. Mm-hmm. He worked on the music department for the 2016 animated movie Beat Bugs. And of course, he appears as himself in an interview in the Fury Road behind the scenes special feature. So Iota was born in the uh, late 60s, uh, either 68 or 69, they're not quite sure, as a guy named Sean Hape. He is a New Zealand-Australian singer-songwriter and actor. Iota has stated in interviews that his parents met in New Zealand. His father is Maori and his mother is English. He grew up in Pinjara, Western Australia, where his father worked at an alumina refinery. While in high school, Iota took drama and music as electives. He describes that as being two hours where he could just slack off. He also formed his first band, which was fairly short-lived at the age of 16. Iota moved out of home at age 17 into a caravan and lived several years on the dole, or just unemployment for people who don't know what the dole means, while playing with a hard rock band called Loose Goose. He worked as a mechanics apprentice before his career as an entertainer took off. When he was 23, Loose Goose moved over to Sydney, and at 26, Iota legally changed his name by deed poll. Iota has cited three reasons for this, one being that he wanted a new identity as an entertainer. He's also openly gay, so he wanted a new name to go along with being open. And then for the third reason being that he's a recovering alcoholic, and so he wanted to create a fresh start with the new name. As a musician, he has issued six studio albums and was nominated for Best Independent Release for the Hip Bone Collection in 1999 at the ARIA Music Awards of 2000. He has won four Heltman Awards, Best Male Actor in a Musical in 2007 for Hedwig in Hedwig and the Angry Itch. It was the 2006 Australian cast and Best Cabaret Performer, Best New Australian Work, and Best Original Score for his work in Smoke and Mirrors in 2010. Iota's stunt double for this role was Ben Smith-Peterson. He would go on to marry Riley Keough, who plays Capable. Oh, did they meet on set? Yep. 
Well, isn't that adorable? It is, isn't it? Lore-wise, the Doof Warrior's mask is made from his mother's face. Oh, yes. That is... Are you that, serious? Yep. Yeah, that is a... Uh, there's a whole story to this. Uh, so, Rick, you want to tell it or am I... No, go for it. <laughs> okay, well... The story of the Doof Warrior is, is, is really interesting. I mean, he was found by Immortan Joe when he was a child. And he was found by his mother, who was dead. And basically, they were sitting in this dark place all the time, probably hiding from someone, I don't know. But this environment made him blind. And he basically loved his mother so much, because I believe she taught him how to play a guitar or something. So that when Immortan Joe came over, he took him in, but the Doof Warrior, he, he loved his mother so much that he basically carved her face off and started wearing it. If I'm correct, if it wasn't Immortan Joe who gave him that mask, I'm not entirely sure about that. But the fact of the matter is, the Doof Warrior had a talent and that was playing guitar. So he was entertainment for Immortan Joe. Mm -hmm. And eventually he ended up being on this uh, Doof Wagon as some sort of, I don't know, emotional support for the entire armada from the Citadel. Yeah. But, yeah, so that's, I think that's pretty much the gist of his story. Yeah, and he was definitely a standout figurehead in the advertising for this movie. I don't think anybody had ever really seen anything like the Doof Warrior before. Oh, yeah. That is such an iconic image, like him with the guitar and the flames. I remember this one interview with George Miller when he went on Conan. And Conan actually, this, he brought it up, you know, and uh, George Miller started explaining what uh, Doof Warrior is and why he needs to have this vehicle. And then Conan said something like, okay, so this sounds like a documentary <laughs> because everything just sort of made sense. Like, you know, he started off like this and that and that. And then all of a sudden you end up in this crazy situation where you're standing on a truck with speakers behind you and you're shooting flames. So it's like this gap where you look at the end result and the beginning and there's this logical chain of events. And then George Miller said, yeah, it kind of is like a documentary. And, you know, this is just what I love about those movies, because everything just looks so crazy at the very end of it when you see it on the screen, but you start to trace it all back. And it's just it's this, you know, history and then everything has to be has a purpose and have a purpose. And it has to be, you know, also cool looking and stuff like that. So, you know, I guess that's how George Miller operates. And it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it is pretty awesome. But I think the only drawback to what he's done is that people look at the Mad Max movies and they just assume that that's what Australia is like every day. <laughs> yeah, well, they look at this shot and they're like, oh, well, that looks like a morning commute in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> Out in front of the fleet, we get Joe in his giga horse and Rictus, who is standing on top of the Bigfoot. I find it interesting that Joe drives his giga horse but rictus rides the bigfoot yeah he wants to be up on this perch platform so that everyone can see him so that he can use his big guns and play with his toys so to speak well like we were talking about earlier this week there are drivers and there are lancers and there are different sets of skills not everybody can cross over to the other skill set mm -hmm. so joe is a driver and rictus is lancer hmm. yeah that's an interesting theory but I was more like looking like at the fact that Rictus, he has to have the biggest car, huge wheels. Like he is uh, huge guns, huge wheels. Everything has to be big. Like he's like this big man child that has to have everything bigger, better. But at the end of the day, he's just I don't think he's capable of even driving this car. Hmm. I'm not so sure that he is either. I have expressed 
uneasiness, I guess, about labeling him as simple minded, because at the time that had not been shown to us. But since then, I think I have seen enough proof to agree that I'm not sure he is mentally capable of driving. I look at Rictus and I see the kid who wants, I don't want to say that he wants everything in a Baruch Assault, Dudley, Dursley sort of way, but considering that of Immortan Joe's sons, that he is the biggest, the most intimidating, and yet the one that you can't really set loose in a wasteland, like Scabarus Scrotus, we never see him because he's off doing his own thing. Oh, yeah. We see Corpus in the Citadel because he's running the Citadel for Joe. I see Corpus taking care of the day-to-day. That way, Joe can just be the king. Whereas Rictus is still a boy. Yeah. And so if he wants the big toys, he gets the big toys. Yeah, exactly. I mean, in the comic books, um, it's actually explained pretty well what he uh, really is. He has, like, okay, if you look at his outfit, it's littered with those tiny baby dolls, like doll heads. Um, he's got this weird, like, he, he mentally he is a child. Um, there's a scene, there's a panel in, in the comic book where Rictus Erectus, he finds uh, this old lady's house who's been collecting all those dolls. And so he looks at all of them and he thinks babies, toys, you know, and he gets all those toys, all those all those dolls, and he, that, that was his idea to put it on the war rig, and he still has it on himself, he wears this sort of stuff, and it's also on the back of the, uh, of, of, of his car too, uh, so, yeah, mentally this, yeah, he, he is like that, you know, like a child. Joe might not be able to give Rictus territory for him to dominate, he wants to keep him on a shorter lease than that, but he can give him a monster truck, something that any boy would love to have i exactly yeah try and think of a kid that i knew growing up that didn't see advertisements for monster truck rallies and think oh my gosh sunday 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 it's coming to the local arena can we go can we go oh dude i have a four-year-old nephew and he just basically he wanted me to play monster truck you know whatever events on youtube all the time (laughs) he wants those toys i bought him a few monster trucks too it's, it's a real thing. <laughs> it captures the imagination and excites the senses of children of all ages. And speaking of cars in general, I mean, I think it would be cool if we actually went back just a little bit uh, to the shot of uh, Coma, the Doom Warrior. There's a whole lot of cool stuff happening in the background. You know, aside from the cars, you can actually see one of the camera cars in the back. I don't know if you noticed. It has not been erased. It's still, it's still there. I don't know if you can tell which one it is. It's well hidden, but anyway, it's still, it's there in the back. Yeah. It's this buggy that, uh, it's, I mean, it's far away, it's far enough that you probably wouldn't recognize it, but it's a vehicle that's, uh, this is a camera vehicle. There were two, like, those buggies that already looked like Mad Max uh, vehicles, so they just sort of put them way in the back, but, you know, I, I see them. And, you know, there's also a whole lot of other cars, like you have the Parenti, uh, this midlife crisis vehicle, as I like to call it. This is like the one that looks like kind of like a Corvette. The silver car, which originally was supposed to be a Polecat car, but it just didn't make it. And there's the, you know, what is it? The Challenger. Yeah. And some other cars in the back. So, yeah, that's all I wanted to point out, that there's a car that's that should not be there (laughs) in the previous shot. All right. Keep a close eye on it next time you all watch the scene. Oh, yeah. Coming up between the Giga Horse and the Bigfoot 
is Nux. We saw him speeding up earlier. And so as he finds himself between these two vehicles, he leans out the window and he makes the V8 salute and he shouts out for Joe. He shouts Immortan. And Joe, of course, is driving. He probably can't hear him anyway. And Nux continues saluting and calling out. And Joe slowly turns his head. And we get this jump shot quick zoom. And it looks like Joe is looking directly at Nux because he's looking directly at the camera. And we assume that the camera is Nux's POV. And so when we see that, we cut back to Nux and he practically leaps out of his car. (laughs) He's just so freaking excited. And he starts shouting about how he looked at me. He looked right at me. Oh, this this part makes me so uncomfortable. He's fangirling so hard. Yeah, he is. That's exactly it. I have no desire ever, ever, ever to meet anyone famous. (laughs) Nope, nope, nope. Because it makes me uncomfortable. And yeah, this freaking out. Mm -mm. I mean, the whole editing choice, again, is just so strange. Like it just sort of zooms in all, all of a sudden, you know? That's just, to me, that was just like really jarring. I remember the first time I saw it in the cinema, I was like, what the hell were they smoking? Like, why is this just like this? And there's this roar of an engine all of a sudden. I was like, what What? What just happened, you know? It makes me wonder if the eye contact was real at all. Those jump cuts. Right. It makes it feel like it was imaginary. Exactly. Yeah. It just feels like out of this, like it's like it really never happened. It's just in his imagination, right? Like, yeah, maybe uh, Morton Joe turned his head. But I'm not sure he actually turned it that far. Well, see, that's the debate that we're getting between Nux and Slit. Nux is freaking out. And Slit is like, oh, come on, be a reasonable guy. He was probably looking at your blood bag. He was probably scanning the horizon. And part of it, I think, is just Slit busting Nux's balls. Slit is the kind of person that will watch someone blow themselves up and then say, oh, mediocre Morsov. I'm telling you, this guy, he's so jealous. He really wants to be behind the wheel of that car. And you know what? Even before this, all this happens, there's this interesting thing. In the Giga Horse, uh, you can see Miss Giddy, right? She's there. Mm-hmm. She's been given uh, oxygen. I don't, I'm not sure if it's actually being seen, but the guy behind her, he holds this oxygen mask. There's a reason why she is being, you know, not only just brought along with, with Morton Joe, but why they give her oxygen, because... She is so old. I mean, this is actually what's been written in the original script. Immortan Joe takes her and he literally says something like, okay, let's see how long you can breathe this air. Mm. And they take her with her and they just just only periodically give her oxygen. Other than that, she's choking. So they're actively torturing her right now. Miss Giddy, of course, lives in the harem. She lives inside that dome, which is full of filtered air. And so bringing her out into the wasteland would be a different quality of air that she's not used to. Yeah, the, the biodome, yeah. Reminds me of, in Deadpool, this torture tank that they put Wade Wilson in, where there's just enough oxygen in there to keep him from passing out. And so he's constantly gasping for air. That's awful. Yeah. That's horrible. That's what it reminds me of. Yeah. That actually makes a lot of sense that they would want to torment her because... From Joe's standpoint, she would need to be punished. She allowed the wives to sneak out. And so her punishment must be something along the lines of being out in a wasteland where you can't breathe very well and being kept just alive enough to continue 
gasping for air. Yeah. Is it strange that Nux pulls his car in between the two cars in charge? Like he's out of place? Like how dare he? Actually, I don't think it is because if I remember correctly, I would have to pull up the original script, but there is a reason why he was there and he tried to prove himself to Immortan Joe. He was basically, it was something along the lines of him leading the way, trying to show the way to everyone. Like he will be the first one, he will be like the tracker, like the first one out there, whatever is, you know, out there, he will know, he will crash, whatever. He wants to show Immortan Joe that he's capable of doing that. I think that was the reasoning behind it. Like he really wanted to show himself like that. Yeah, I always interpreted it as Nux wanting to show off and be like, look how capable I am. I, I am here for you, Immortan Joe allow me to perform this thing for you right right yeah yeah there's that that, definitely yeah that's pretty ballsy it's just it's not his proper place yeah i don't look at the fleet and see a lot of structure as far as where the cars are positioned um there's some continuity errors uh from shot to shot there's this one jeep that uh is supposed to be on the right but then it switches to the left i mean you know aside from that there's a lot of cg uh there's a lot of ground replacements of course the sky i mean this is this is my pet peeve when people are saying hey there's no cgi and the, they, they replace the ground the wheels that you think they're spinning they were stationary you know i mean they're changing a whole lot of things in this movie yeah i mean they changed a whole lot of things in this movie and you know but credit where credit is due 90 percent of the time continuity is just spot on they had this one woman who actually took care of it and did, i mean she did a great job it's just like you know you have to look at those tiny little things if you really want to and then you'll probably notice something like you know with the car that was in the background i was talking about before but you know you have to watch it frame by frame or, and be uh, apparently clinically insane like me <laughs> getting back to nux and believing that he got a little bit of eye contact with the morton joe he neglects any sort of dismissiveness from slit and he says no i am awaited i am awaited in valhalla and he grips his steering wheel, presses on the accelerator. The next car rockets forward ahead of the Giga Horse and Max on the front of this car, just getting rattled around and pressing wind blowing in his face, debris flying up at him. And he lets loose this statement. And the subtitles say that he's saying Confucamus, which is a very Latin sounding, which I looked online and there's a whole lot of people talking about, oh, it's Latin for this. It's Latin for that. The general consensus is that it's just a fancy way of either saying it or I'll you up. There's also one person that thinks that instead of saying Confucius, he's saying you all or something like that. Basically, Max is just being vulgar yeah, because he's in such a bad situation. The whole scene of Nux just flooring it, you know, I love this scene. It's one of my favorite scenes in Fury, if not the favorite, you know, scene or shot in, in Fury Road. It's just like, oh man, that's what this movie is about. You just floor it, hit the nitro, you just go forward. And then, you know, then there's Max, who's right in front of the car. And um, I think uh, in some of the scripts or the, the things that I've seen, uh, the idea was that he's just really, really pissed off. Mm-hmm. Not that he's scared. He's like, in one of the versions of the script that I, I saw, it was like... He wasn't even saying anything. It was just the look in his eyes, like he's really pissed off, you know, subtitle or whatever. Uh, he wasn't saying anything. So so the choice of, you know, the confucimus or whatever, however you pronounce it, that's just so weird. Like, but at the same time, probably it's just exactly what George Miller would do. Like, what the hell, what the hell did that come from? <laughs> before we go past this, I like how before Nux 
slammed on the accelerator and sped up, we get to see him opening up his nitrous. And so we establish very early on, this is where the nitrous knob is because it's going to come in later on when he actually goes one-on-one with the war rig, which has mixed results for Nux. But going past the accelerating where Nux is just driving off into the distance and Slid is raising his fist triumphantly, but Nux pulls his steering wheel off of the steering column and raises it up through the moon roof or open roof hatch. And it's just this great shot of the Nux car with the steering wheel up and it's just rocketing off into the distance with the flames flying out the exhaust pipes. It's so cool. Just metal, absolute metal. And uh, you know what? I I think I'm not entirely sure if this is the case, but someone pointed out to me that this shot of Nux just flooring it, you know, with the pedal and all that that has his name on it, um, that this shot was actually reused later in the movie when Slit is flooring it and he's about to, you know, kill Max. Except that, you know, the gas pedal had the Nux thing uh, CGI'd, you know, out. Mm-hmm. I'm, I have to check this, but it looked... I mean, I think I checked it once and it actually I think it was that, you know, it was the case, but I have to double check it just to make sure. Yeah, we'll watch out for that. For Interesting. sure. Hmm. I mean, you know, Fury Road in itself, it's, it has a lot of things that were reused. I mean, people generally don't see those things. I mean, seriously, you have to look very, very, very closely. Some cars are just copied and pasted. Things are reused all over the place, but it's not like in, in your immediate like view, like right in front of you. It's just somewhere on the peripherals. Or you have to really don't blink, or you have to like remember what, what was going on previously in the movie. But yeah, you know, they did that, that sort of thing a lot. And that brings us to the end of the minute. I really like how this minute ends with that shot of the car speeding away into the distance. It's very cool and it's very iconic. It's a great way to put a bookend on a series of minutes. We don't get a lot of those, and this is one of them. So I very much like that. So do I. It's a, it's a really awesome looking shot. Shem, is there anything here at the end of the week that we haven't really discussed that you want to bring up before we say goodbye to you again? I think we've covered everything. All right, then. In that case, where should people go if they want to hear more from you? Yeah, um, if they want to hear more from me and watch the videos that I make, then they should go to YouTube and look up Mad Mag's Bible YouTube channel. And I have, a, you know, not a whole lot of videos there, but the substance, I think, is worth watching. So, yeah, if you want to go and watch some Mad Max stuff that you probably never heard before, go there, uh, Mad Max Bible on YouTube. Please subscribe, watch the videos. Absolutely. And if you want to make a bunch of dummy accounts and subscribe to... <laughs> Mad Max Bible using those, you know, just numbers are always good. If we can get Shem one of those fancy play buttons from YouTube, that would just be spectacular. <laughs> I'll probably send half of it if I ever get one to you. <laughs> <laughs> As for us, we are going to be coming back on Monday. The fleet will call for backup from Gastown and the Bullet Farm, but Furios has come too far at this point to back down now. Besides, we're heading into buzzer territory. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Bautista of DanielBautista.com.
Our home on the internet is madmaxminute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at madmaxminute, like us on Facebook by searching for madmaxminute, and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit madmaxminute.com, where you can see what's in our Tee Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 18 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time.